Let me read from the Word of God, Psalm 18, the first three verses. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Now a reading from the gospel, I encourage you to stand if you're able. Luke chapter 6, verses 30, 27 and following. The words of Jesus. But to you who listen, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But if you good, do good to those who are, if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good to them. And lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I'm going to do some stuff on the PowerPoint, so if you can dim the lights a little bit up there, that would be good. And here we go soon, I think. There, oops. There we go. Today I'm going to talk about walls. And Walls have been around for a long time. Uh, this wall had various versions, but the version that's most commonly seen today is, uh, was built between 1400 and 1600. Uh, it's a really big wall. It's huge. In fact, they just call it the Great Wall. And Europe is full of lots of castles and walled cities. Medieval Europe had lots of warring factions, kingdoms, tribes, clans, and people needed protection within these walled cities. 
And this is another version of a wall. This is an Angola prison. Um, Angola was first constructed in 1830. This version is obviously a lot later. And these are the walls of the Warsaw Ghetto, ghetto in Poland. 1840s, more or less, Germany invaded Poland, began to concentrate all the Jews in one particular community, and then began exporting them to the death camps. And these are the wall, the wall of uh, the Berlin Wall, the division between East and West Berlin. And these are ruins of Jericho, not necessarily of the, the walls of Jericho, the famous walls that fell down. But um, Jericho is one of the oldest uh, living cities, cities that are still occupied. They have found, found things in the Jericho ruins dating back to 800 B.C. And surrounding the old city of Jerusalem are walls. This is the Damascus Gate. It was built in about 1537. Ruins in Jerusalem date back to as much as 100 B.C. Having looked at all those walls, I'll tell you up front, I'm not a big fan of walls. Especially this wall. This is the wall that separates uh, Jews, the Jewish nation of Israel, and Palestinian populations. I lived in the shadow of this wall for about three months in 2010. Um, this wall is built by Israel uh, uh, to protect Israelis from the very real threat of Palestinian terrorism. But it also separates Palestinians from Palestinians. It separates Palestinians from families. It separates Palestinians from schools, hospitals, places of worship, jobs. It separates farmers from their field with devastating con consequences, resulting in this, which is the congestion at the border crossings. The people who have permits, which are not easy to get, but have p permits, and need them to get to work and to school and to visit family and go to the doctor or go to places of worship, need to line up at four in the morning to be able to cross in time. Parents have to send children through these crossings, put them in a queue and leave them as they make their way through to be able to get to school. Walls are often a matter of perspectives because um, there's a story of a, a, a young Palestinian girl who was 10 or so driving to school with her mother. Every day they went along a road that went right beside these, these big walls. And one day the little girl says to her mom, Mom, why do they keep the Jews locked up inside those walls? <laughs> Different perspective. She didn't understand it was there to keep her out she thought they were keeping them in. On a less serious note, here's another wall. Whoops, that turned sideways on me. Anyway, turn on your side. Um, this is another wall I'm not particularly fond of. Uh, it's a fence and a locked gate that separates the um, uh, Hunt Estate, uh, the, the, not Hunt Estate, Frank Estate Apartments 
from the Fano Creek Trail. It used to be one of my favorite routes to walk to church, but there was an assault on the Fano Creek Trail, and out of fear, the Frank Estates built uh, this gate that's locked, and only residents can go access it now, so I have to walk around a different route. Uh, it's private property. They have every right to make their uh, tenants at the Frank Estate feel safe, but frankly, I still don't like it. Um, and I think I'll go out on a limb here in saying that I don't think God is a big fan of walls because walls are a clear manifestation of the brokenness of this world. It's a manifestation of division and of hatred. Walls are all about keeping bad people in, i.e. prisons, or bad people out, i.e. compounds, borders, forts, gated community. At their heart, walls are divisive. They're all about establishing a physical, visual, tangible barrier between us and them. Us, we often think of as the good guys, and them are the bad guys. Here is a picture of a wall that I think God was particularly not fond of. Anyone want to guess what that wall is? Any guesses? That's a replica of the temple at the time of Solomon, not Solomon, at the time of Jesus. And that wall is the wall keeping the Gentiles separated from the Jews. Gentiles who'd come to have some love of God, some understanding of God, some admiration of the Jewish God, and were seeking God. They had a place at the temple, but they only had a limited place, and there was this wall that separated them. This wall has some uh, roots in the Old Testament scripture. God's redemptive history, God's uh, efforts to reach out to humanity, fallen humanity, and reconnect them, begins by working with one particular group of people on the face of the planet. His goal was to form one holy nation, and he would be their God, and they would be his people. So he worked with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, na uh, name changed to Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. These people became the recipients of the covenants, the recipients of promises, the re recipients of the law. They heard his voice through the prop prophets. In a sense, they were God's demo unit. He would be their God. They would be his people they would have his laws. They would live a life that was exemplary of what God wanted for humanity. Humanity would see that and be drawn to God. In that formation, there was a clear tendency of the nation of Israel to be a distinct and holy nation, to be set apart. But out of that, there was also a sense of distinction that led to a clear sense of us versus them that we, the Israeli nation, are the good guys, and all those guys are the bad guys. 
this last year we went to grandparents camp with uh, two of my grandkids. Um, Pastor Dick Nystrom uh, was the one who turned, me, turned us on to that. And this year the, they have Bible lessons for the kids, which is great. This year the focus was on David's confrontation with Goliath. Pastor Dick and I were processing what we were getting and what was being done to the kids, and we both acknowledged that we get a little uncomfortable talking to kids about some of the more violent warfare aspects of the Old Testament. It was just a little bit bothersome. And as the teacher who did a marvelous job and tried to relate it to the kids, and there are a lot of good lessons for the kids, the teacher was talking about the confrontation between the Israelites and the Philistines. And she used that very language to help them understand. She said, the Israelites were the good guys. The Philistines were the bad guys. And that's, in the context, relatively valid. But it sets up something that has been there forever with religions, whatever religion if we figure out how God is talking to us, how God wants us to behave, we begin to think of us as the good guys. And all those others who don't quite get it right or have our particular understanding are the bad guys. But throughout the Old Testament, God gives clear indication that while he wanted a particular people and while he wanted to grow this nation up into something that ultimately would receive the revelation of Jesus Christ, while he wanted it to be a distinct nation, he never wanted it to be an exclusive nation. He is always intent on it being for everybody. And here's just a few of the scriptures, I think. Yes. I'll just read a few of these. These are just a few. They're, they're throughout the Old Testament. It is a consistent story. In Leviticus chapter 19, 33 and 34, it says, When the for foreigner resides among you and in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you, you must treat as your native born. Love them as yourself. <clears throat> for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Isaiah 14.1 says, The Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and settle them in their own land. That's that choosing of, of the unique holy people. But foreigners will join and unite with the descendants of Jacob. Isaiah 56.6-7, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord of the God, and to be his servants... All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, all who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted. They will be considered worthy on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's God's intent throughout the, all of the scripture, old and new. This gospel of inclusion culminates in Jesus Christ, who declares himself the King of kings, the Lord of lords of the whole planet, who establishes and demonstrates 
that even one of the most hated groups of them at his time in the Jewish community, the Samaritans, were recipients of his grace. Jesus breaks through all kinds of barriers, including limits for women, touching lepers, eating with tax collectors, extending grace to Romans. Anybody who was on the margins at the time of Jesus was included in his grace. Anyone who was considered them, he considered us. And as the church is formed, God makes it clear through the Holy Spirit that one of the greatest leaps for the Jewish community was to happen. That the Jewish community was not just going to be that tri- the 12 tribes of Israel. The community of the beloved, the community of the church, the community of those who are called by God would be, hold on to your seats, Gentiles and Jews. Remember the story of Peter who's waiting for lunch and he's a little hungry, he's up on the roof, he starts to maybe snooze a little bit. And he has this vision, the sheet comes down and on the sheet are all these different animals and he looks at the sheet and he sees that there are clean animals, those that the dietary laws of the Old Testament say to eat and they're unclean animals like lobster and pork. And... um, As he's looking at that, he hears God's voice say to him, go, kill, and eat. And he says, oh, no, God, I'd never do that. I'm a good Jewish boy. I would never do that. And God says to him, don't call unclean what I say is clean. Now, he's scratching his head over that, like, I got to change my diet. And about that time, some Gentiles show up. And they want to hear the gospel. And he goes with them, and in the midst of going with them, the light comes on to him. This is not an exclusive thing. This is extended to everybody. And these are the words that he says, I think. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize He puts the two together and he does a revolutionary thing. And he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. This is an amazing thing. It's no longer just this exclusive small little group. Never was intended to be that. Always a promise of it being more, but now very overtly established by God in the New Testament. And then Paul makes this abundantly clear when he says in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 16, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember That at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant and the promise, without hope and without God in this world. It's talking about the whole situation prior to Christ, prior to the revelation of Christ. This us and them, the the small community that is the, the Jewish community, the recipients of the covenants and the promises. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made the two groups one, and it's not just the two groups, it's every group one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And when Paul said that, he was speaking specifically about a real physical barrier that I showed you the picture of. The barrier that keeps Gentiles away from true Jews at the temple. The dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God's plan is ultimately to destroy all walls, all barriers. There is a barrier between human beings and God. There's a barrier because of God's holiness and our, our tendency to go the wrong way. But God ultimately bridged that barrier and destroyed that dividing wall of separation you all remember that in the temple there was a curtain that separated the, the, the holy of holy from anybody else coming in there except one holy person who went through all sorts of purification to be able to get there. And what happened to that barrier? You all know that when, when Christ died, it was ripped from top to bottom. That barrier, that wall was destroyed. And, and the whole emphasis of that is so that all humanity could have access to God. God's plan is not only intent on destroying that barrier, but all barriers, all divisions, all tendency to do us versus them. There is no more them. His intent is it all be us, to break down every wall. Now, saying that, I'm not preaching a message of universalism. There is a choice involved here. One can choose alienation and separation, or one can choose peace and acceptance and love and mercy and forgiveness. I'm preaching a gospel that proclaims boldly that God wants all humanity to experience wholeness, to experience his grace, to experience his mercy and his love. The result of that gospel is that we are called to treat every person as if there is no us versus them. We're called to treat every person as if they are us. We are part of them. I say I don't care much for walls. I've suggested that God doesn't care too much for walls. And I think I'm in good company because I believe Dolores Jarvis didn't care much for walls either. Dolores Jarvis, for those of you who don't know, is a kind of a matri was a kind of a matriarch of this church. She was one of the founding uh, people involved with this church. She was a woman of great compassion. She was a woman of abundant love and acceptance. She was a woman of deep faith. She was a woman of fervent prayer. And it was our privilege to live with her the last seven years of her life as caregivers. In the last couple of years of her life, a neighbor came to us and said, I want to build a six-foot privacy fence between my house and your house. Um, that's it. Dolores was not thrilled with that idea. She thought about it a little bit, and then she got back 
to our neighbor, Leslie, and she said, if you're going to build the fence, may I pay to put a gate in that fence? And so we got that gate. At that stage of her life, she could no more walk through that gate than she could fly. One time, we did push her through that gate in the wheelchair so we could go have coffee with Leslie. And since then, it's maybe been used once or twice. But for Dolores, it was incredibly important that that gate was there. So... It joins a host of other gates. Gates, let's see, one of them's upside down. Anyway, don't try to stand on your head for that one. Um, uh, Gates that have been built over the years when somebody built a fence, Dolores was there to make sure there was a gate. Almost all of them are unused. But for Dolores, it was important that they were there. My favorite is the bottom one right there because that is the gate between our house and where my daughter and her family lives. And that gate is almost always open and is used multiple times a day and I love it when little girls come running through it. This is the challenge. The world is filled with walls, physical, psychological, sociological. My hope is that by the Holy Spirit, as you leave here today, as you live your life with the Lord this week, you might notice those walls, you might be aware of those walls, and you might find ways when you see those walls, psychological, sociological, real You might find a way to be a gate builder. Find a way through those walls. And be sensitive to times when you build a wall. When you start defining anyone on the other side of some of those walls as one of those thems. As one of those that are a little less than. uh, Or who are in one way or another bad. I just attended the Covenant Annual Meeting, and we had some tough, contentious issues to address. And I can tell you, among the 1,050 or more delegates and three or 400 auxiliary people who were there, it was easy to sense walls. As you walked through the place, you assessed, are they for this issue? Are they against this issue? Are they one of the good guys? Or are they one of the bad guys? It takes a real effort to try to see people totally different and try to to keep those walls from going up. I met up with a a good friend of mine who is a member of my congregation that we served in Cincinnati, Ohio. Her name was Marlene Evans, and we got together before the meeting and we had a great time to visit, a great time to catch up with one another. And in the course of the conversation, we went to the place of, well, this is quite a historic meeting and there's going to be some contentious issues. And it became quickly apparent that we found ourselves on opposite sides of the issue that we were going to be discussing. Yet we very intentionally had a very real 
and civil and caring discussion. We didn't avoid it. We didn't say, oh, okay, can't go there. We talked about it. We listened to each other. We did some gate building in the midst of what could be a wall. After the vote of the meeting, which went in a direction I did not personally prefer, I found myself strangely, surprisingly to me, emotional and vulnerable. And as I made my way from the seat out to an an area outside of this big convention center, there's a huge crowd of people, a a, a thousand or more delegates. Uh, I saw Marlene coming towards me. And I just felt at the moment, I really don't want to talk with anybody about this. I felt vulnerable. uh, And I didn't know what to expect. And she came straight up to me. And she just gave me this wonderful hug. And it released a lot of stuff in me. I just started crying. And she started crying. And we didn't say a word. We just knew that that was a hard thing. And people were on edge, and walls were there. But Marlene is a good gate builder. She always has been. God is the ultimate gate builder. And he's built a gate that gives us free access to him. So I encourage you today to join him and go build a gate. In Jesus' name. Amen.